This is Eyewitness News Up Close. Ten years ago, this past March, scandal in New York State government at its highest level. Governor Elliot Spitzer resigning after a sex scandal and Lieutenant Governor David Patterson taking over, becoming the state's first and still only African-American governor. This morning we talked to Mr. Patterson about the current Democratic race for governor, controversies surrounding the Trump administration, and a whole lot more. Also with us, someone Republican Congressman Peter King of Long Island, someone everyone knows in this state. He's up for re-election again this morning. Mr. King's view about the special prosecutor's investigation, the president's scandal involving Stormy Daniels, and the big upcoming summit with North Korea. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bill Ritter. Welcome to Up Close. We get right to Congressman Peter King. He's at his field office in the Nassau County hamlet of Massapequa Park. Congressman, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Bill. Uh, let's get right to President Trump. And, and it seems to be in a week that he should have been celebrating what appears to be happening in North Korea and South Korea with a huge new detente and perhaps his first major foreign policy victory. Instead, mired in these mucky weeds uh, over a scandal involving Stormy Daniels and now, as you've seen, uh, a big controversy with Rudy Giuliani and today the president basically throwing him under the bus saying, I don't know what he's talking about, but we're going to get the record straight. Yeah, uh, first of all, you know, what the president has achieved with North Korea, while it's certainly not over yet, there's a long way to go, he's made remarkable progress in getting uh, King Jong-un to the table. Uh, the fact that South Korea is engaged, the fact that China has been at least uh, certainly helping us behind the scenes. And so this is, uh, again, on the verge of an historic breakthrough in, in North Korea, but it's going to require full court press and effort by the United States. Obviously now, to some extent anyway, the president's uh, attention is being diverted by the whole Stormy Daniels issue. And I have said, listen, uh, this should not rise to the level that it has. I mean, this investigation started with the allegations of Russian collusion, in effect somehow suggesting that the president or the president as a candidate was involved in treasonous uh, uh, matters with, with the, uh, the Russians. And now it's come down to whether or not a porn star was paid and whether or not Michael Cohen uh, made some kind of a deal with yellow taxi medallions. I mean, all of this, to me, is really trivialized the presidency. Now, is, is the president partly responsible? I guess so. But the fact is, I think this has gone way out of uh, uh, everyone's lane to have this type of attention, to have this much time put into something, which really is a personal matter. And I know they can ex somehow extend it to maybe a possible campaign uh, contribution violation. But to me, it again shows the excesses of, of, of a special counsel. But this is not the special counsel's investigation. That, in fact, when he found this, was turned over to the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Manhattan. And that is who's coordinating this investigation, along with the FBI in New York. Uh, special counsel Robert Mueller in Washington is not dealing with the Stormy Daniels thing or the Michael Cohen thing. That's the FBI and the U.S. Attorney here. No, but the fact is, special counsel has uncovered it. It was sent to the U.S. Attorney in New York, really as a parallel part of the investigation. If it were not for the Mueller investigation going on in Washington, this wouldn't be going on. I mean, listen, back in 2008, and this happens, by the way, in many presidential campaigns, the Obama campaign had millions of dollars that were not reported properly. Five years later, they were required to pay a fine of $375,000. A $375,000 fine for millions of dollars in failure to adequately report campaign contributions. 
And now you have the president assuming the worst, that this was a $130,000 contribution that was not properly reported. That's less than half the amount of the uh, fine that uh, the Obama administration had to pay 10 years ago, and nobody even knows about it. I mean, it, was, it was not a major event. So I just think that if you have North Korea on one side and a, uh, a, a payment to a porn star on the other, that, you know, there shouldn't be this equal balance that it's getting right now. Well, it's not an either-or either argument, as you know, and greater minds than, than ours, uh, or certainly greater minds than mine, uh, are arguing the legal part of it. The political part of it, you know, this does not look good for Mr. Trump um, after he said he didn't have anything to do with this, didn't know about it, uh, didn't reimburse Mr. Cohen, and then Rudy Giuliani comes up and says he, I, I did, he did reimburse it, and now Mr. Trump, looking bad, tries to reverse course. Politically speaking, only forget the legal part of it. You know that you know, Congressman King. That doesn't right. look good when when the president is caught like that. Uh, again, I don't know if he's been caught or not because the facts are still uh, up in the air. But again, however it turns out, I think for better or worse, the American people have decided that they are not that concerned about President Trump's personal life. I mean, after the whole uh, matter with uh, Billy Bush back in 2016. Uh, it was figured that was the end of his campaign. He ended up getting getting re, uh, you know getting elected against all the odds. Donald Trump, uh, his uh, campaign and his his whole uh, method of operation sort of marches to a different drama. And the American people, as for now, have accepted it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that the American people look upon Donald Trump as somebody who's shaken up the establishment, who's making things, he's, he's doing things differently, and this is in a way a part and parcel of that. This is like the negative that they're willing to put up with. That's the way it's been so far. Right. I mean, so, it's, uh, you're, you're absolutely right that any other candidate, any other president, this could be catastrophic. Right. There is a lot of Teflon to this. There's no question about it. Let's talk politics. You're in a, you're in yeah. a, a re-election campaign yourself. Uh, for a lot of Republicans, they are trying to keep some distance with Donald Trump. Running in, in the big picture, Congressman, what's it like with all this controversy and, 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 and bad discourse going on, poor discourse around the country, what's it like to run in this environment? And are you worried the effect that's going to have on the Republican Party vis-a-vis -vis the 2018 midterm elections and your control of Congress? Well, I take my own race very seriously, but I'm not worried about the... Uh, confusion that's out there. That's something that if you're if you know what you're doing and you're doing a good job, you have to work your way through. I do think there are Republicans, though, in many districts who have not had tough races, who don't have competitive districts, and this is all, all new to them. One advantage of uh, running in New York, and I'm sure your later guest David Patterson will agree with this, is that, you, that you're used to expecting almost anything. And there's almost no such thing as an easy race, uh, whether it's the general election or a primary. We have rough and tumble races. It, in New York. So I believe I'll be able to cope with that, and I'm doing all that I can, and I'm confident, but I take nothing for granted. But I think as far as how you run with uh, President Trump, basically, I try to be straightforward on this. I make it clear when I agree with him. I agree with him on MS-13. I agree with him on what he's doing with ISIS, uh, and uh, also the rebuilding the military, the way he stands with the police. I agree with all that. On the other hand, I was strongly opposed to his uh, tax legislation because of the impact it's going to have on Long Island in particular and New York State in general as far as taking away the uh, uh, property tax deductions. When he's said things I disagree with, I say it. I think you can't use politics as usual with 
if you're running in the era of, of Donald Trump. You can't get by just on using standard talking points. Certainly Republican can't. You have to show where you agree, where you disagree, and whether on balance you support him or not. On balance, I do. I've had some real differences with him, but on key mm -hmm. issues, I believe he's been very good to New York and the country, but not on the tax bill. On this program before, when you were here last time, you said you were going to try to do something about reversing that part of, re of eliminating the deductions for state and local income taxes and state and local property taxes. Uh, what have right. you done in that regard? You know a lot of people are going to be shell-shocked when they get their tax bill for 2018. A lot of people are not planning for the worst case that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, in a bipartisan bill, Congresswoman Nita Lowy, who's a Democrat and a good friend and a good uh, member of Congress, she and I have introduced legislation which would uh, reinstate the SALT deduction. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not going to happen this year. I don't see it happening, but we're going to stay on it. We're going to work on it. We wanted to emphasize that it was bi bipartisan. What we have to look for is when changes are made in the tax bill, which will have to be done inevitably on other matters, that that could be our opportunity to put the SALT deduction back in. But no, you're right. And actually, no, we don't know uh, your entire scorecard yet. I mean, there are going to be a number of people in New York, and not just the wealthy, but also some uh, middle-income people are mm -hmm. going to do better. But there are going to be losers on this. And what makes that unfortunate is in the rest of the country, there are no, uh, no losers. Everyone is going to be at least a short-term winner. And that's why I oppose it so strongly. And again, uh, I can just assure you that uh, Congresswoman Lowy and I, and also other, other members of the New York delegation, Dan Donovan, Lee Zeldin, we are working as hard as we can. But I'll be honest with you, right up front, it's not going to happen this year. There has been one issue with your local uh, race involving your Democratic opponent, opponent for your congressional seat that I'd, I'd love to get your take on. She is petitioning the F FEC uh, to allow campaign contributions to pay for her child care. Her husband works full time. She's running. She wants that as a campaign expense so she can be out on the campaign trail. How do you feel about that? You know, I'll let the FEC decide that. I mean, it's uh, obviously uh, uh, women in politics, it does raise the issue of child care, and actually, I guess, with men in politics, too. Uh, maybe it's something she should have factored in before she decided to run. But again, if the FE decide, FEC decides that the era in which we live, in which uh, factors both husband and wife do have to work, uh, and it's, uh, again, it's, the child care has become so important that perhaps this is a proper expenditure of funds. So again, if, if it happens, it happens. I, I certainly have no objection to it. Okay, that not, not going to be an issue if, uh, if you ever should debate your Democratic opponent in this, in this race. That's what I hear you saying. No, listen, we have enough other issues. To, I, I have, again, there's going to be enough other issues to debate, which I'll be, I look forward to debating. But uh, you know, child care for candidates is not going to be an issue as far as I'm concerned. Okay, uh, interesting note. Congressman Pete King, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for your perspective about what's happening in Washington right now. Okay, give my best to Governor Patterson. Governor give my Patterson best to coming Patterson. Up next, and he speaks highly of you as well. Thank you, Congressman Peter King. Great. Uh, coming okay. up, Thank we you, are going to interview the former governor of New York, David Patterson. Ten years ago, this past March, he was sworn in as the state reeled from the Elliott Spitzer sex scandal. So what's Governor Patterson up to now? And what's his view of the current governor's race in New York? He has a view of that, no shocker, he's an act. Welcome back to Up Close. Ten years ago this past March, a big shakeup in New York state government. Elliot Spitzer suddenly resigning when a sex scandal became public. David Patterson sworn in as a 55th governor of the state of New York. He did not run for election. Right now, he's got a much more lucrative job than anything in politics. He's director at Stevel Investment Services, and Governor, governor Patterson also 
a pretty keen mind when it comes to analyzing politics, grew up in politics with a political family. He joins us this morning. Governor, thank you for being here. Well, it's great to be back, Bill. Nice to see you here. You were here a year ago. Uh, there was some talk of you running for mayor at the time, and then you decided not to go. Why not? No, I've gone into the witness protection program. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a bank now. I try to stay away from politics. Now, that's just not true. You are engaged, involved. You, you, you watch this stuff very, very closely, right? I watch it, and I try not to get into it. Okay. <laughs> You're done. Your political career is over? I mean, you never know what happens down the road. It was an honor to serve. And, uh, but Friday night now means it's the night before the weekend instead of the two days I used to work on the weekend. There you go. So that's the main, main difference. Um, but not really. You still... Uh, I know you're engaged in, in analyzing politics. What do you, what's your perspective here? I, I often think what your father would think about what's going on in this country right now. My perspective is that we have become divided. We don't listen to each other. Um, uh, we stand behind people because they're in the same party, even though we know they're doing things wrong. And it happens on both sides. And until we start to learn how to work together, uh, like you just had Congressman Peter King on. He just happened to be someone I picked out because I watched him get interviewed. And he and I had exchanges where we'd have dinner in each other's district and just talk about issues. And I think we learned a lot. Um, he learned a lot about Harlem. I didn't have to learn too much about Long Island because I grew up there. But it was a great exchange. We'd bring our families. And um, that's what we need more of, not isolation, um, inclusion. And that doesn't happen. I, I, you each told me stories about the other, you, Congressman King and you, and it was, it was refreshing to hear someone you know, across the aisles uh, you know, have that kind of friendship. It used to be like that, even though there were huge political disagreements. Oh, when I was governor, I used to yell and scream at Joe Bruno because he kept saying I was misestimating the revenues when he <laughs> knew good and well we were about to have the largest deficit by four times almost in the history of the state. And then... Uh, after it was all over, we'd sit down and have a glass of wine together and talk about our families. See, so, but that doesn't happen so much anymore. I know that Not it doesn't like it happen in to. Washington. There's no question about it. There's just so much vitriol, and, and it's, it's a blood war. The other thing, Bill, is I think so much money is raised and spent in politics now that and no one likes to fundraise. So the more you raise money to beat others, the more you don't like them. And I think in, in the older days, when the election was over, we didn't think about elections until the next campaign, but now we have a 24-7 a campaign season that I think also drives the uh, people of different views against each other. Well, one person who's running 24-7, it seems like, is uh, the man who eventually took your place, Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, he is running for re-election this, this fall. And surprisingly to him, I think, he has a, uh, a surprisingly <laughs> public uh, opponent in the Democratic primary, actress Cynthia Nixon. Well, he does, but if you're middle of the road, you have to like Governor Cuomo because he lowered taxes in this state to the point that they were in 1947. Uh, he created a sixth tier for the pension system. I created a fifth one. It took 26 years for us to do that. He created a sixth one three years later. If you are more progressive, you've got to know that he passed same-sex marriage. He created a $15 min minimum wage. And... He um, expanded the participation in, with minority and women's businesses in the procurement policy of the state. So I think that he's covered all the bases. Um, Cynthia Nixon, I remember her. She was on the Upper West Side, which was my district, and she got involved in a lot of education issues. 
If she wants to run for governor, she can. But if I was going to run for governor and I was a movie star, the last thing I would have done was had my opening uh, announcement on film. Because we know we, she can act. We just don't know if she can govern. Uh, I was going to ask you if you were endorsing anyone, but it sounds like you just did. Uh, I don't endorse anyone these days. But it sounds like you were ba you're backing Andrew Cuomo in this and not Cynthia Nixon. Well, he's... he's Definitely someone who I think has done a great job. Has Cynthia Nixon affected this campaign? Because just from the, uh, the layperson standpoint, mine, and observing this, it would seem that she has affected the governor's position on several issues. Do you think that that's happened? Well, I think in election years that candidates tend to respond to whoever's running to, uh, against them. I certainly hope that the governor doesn't let a candidate get in, in his head, and I don't think he will. Um, when I don't think she has m much of a chance to, to actually win. Um, and she's still an un unknown quantity. Uh, let her, let's hear her talk about how she would resolve the terrible problems that he's trying to grapple with involving the MTA. And then maybe we'll, we'll have an, an idea. Um, and that's the Metropolitan Transit Association. No, we understand that, yeah. No, I just want to make sure she did. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So it does sound like you've endorsed the candidate. Um, do, tell, explain to me what, what your perspective is on, on the dispute. And there's a public warfare between Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo. The two most powerful Democrats in the state of New York, many people, certainly progressive people, think they should be working together. Instead, they're doing the opposite. Well, I think there have been quiet disputes between the mayor and the governor uh, for many years. Remember, the governor is the... Um, larger elected official in terms of the number of people that uh, the governor represents and the um, uh, it, and just what a governor is as opposed to there, there are many mayors in the state. But mm -hmm. New York City is the major media capital of the United States and therefore the mayor usually gets a lot more attention than the governor. So that's an automatic um, push and pull product uh, in, in that relationship. I think uh, both of them have to recognize something, whether or not they like each other or get along. Um, they had a famous uh, double play combination on the Chicago Cubs, Tinker to Evers to Chance. The story is that Tinker and Evers never spoke to each other, but they worked together when they were on the field. I think sometimes the feud has impaired the service that the people of the city and the state deserve. Maybe they take a lesson from you and, and Peter King and just have a glass of wine somewhere. Um, Final question for you. Uh, I know you're, you know, you look at, at, at Mayor de Blasio, um, what the homeless situation he has not been able to grapple with. It's gotten worse under his administration. It got worse under Bloomberg's administration. Uh, you, you have positions on this. You've taken a position against putting a homeless shelter in an ho old hotel well, in Midtown. He has um, going to cite 90 different homeless sites, which is going to cost up to $10 billion over the next five years. The first one is this one on 58th Street in Manhattan, but it's 140 all-male homeless people in a hotel in an area that's already overcrowded. And although they feed them in the hotel, when they come out of the hotel, where are they going to go if they want to eat anything else? Jean-Georges? I mean, this just doesn't work. And for instance, um, the cost to taxpayers is going to be as if each of them had a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, in, in, in that area. And I think that um, there's a process. The, uh, the Uniform Land uh, 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 process known as ULARP, I, I can't remember the rest of the mnemonic right now, but because the city contracted this out, it isn't going through the processes that would include the city council, the borough presidents, um, the uh, borough boards, 
And therefore, uh, the people that live there, uh, a few of them that I know, told me that they had to tell the police and the elected officials that the shelter was going in. You've I think they've got a chance to fix this if they use a different type of shelter, maybe in a different part of the area. One example that you just explained why it's so complex to solve this issue. Uh, come back again and visit us on Up Close, will you? Promise? But thank you very much, All Bill. Right. It's great to be here. David Patterson, great to see you again. More on another wild week of controversy and head-spinning headlines involving Donald Trump, at least four of his lawyers, and the dictator of North Korea. It's all coming up next as we talk to ABC News political director Rick Klein. Stay with us. Welcome back to Up Close. Consider this. If I told you that we at Eyewitness News try every day to get you the best information possible, you'd say good for you. But if I said it like this, we try to get you the best information possible, you'd hardly feel confident in what we're doing. Well, the White House this week, faced with a series of conflicting statements by the president and some of the president's men about what he knew and when he had paid it in the Stormy Daniels scandal, using the best information possible line, and it didn't ring confident. ABC News political uh, director, Rick Klein, watched that unfold in the White House briefing room. He joins us. Now, you'll pardon me if I ask you for some ibuprofen because you can get a headache and whiplash, mentally speaking, watching all this go by. It's a head-spinning week, and I think what was telling in part in that exchange, Bill, is that the premise of the question, our colleague Jonathan Carl asking it, how can we believe what the president has to say when there's such a blatant disregard for the facts? And Sarah Sanders actually didn't even dispute the question. That's where she said, we try to get you the best information based on what we have at the time. Clearly, what, what they had at the time was based on what the president was saying, and what we learned later, uh, those, those statements were inaccurate. They are no longer operative, and frankly, here at the end of the week, I still don't know what the official White House line is regarding Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen, and any payoffs? Well, because on Friday, Rudy Giuliani came up with this sort of reconcocted statement saying, I was only talking about what I knew of the timing, not the president's knowledge of the timing, even though he said he had talked to Mr. Trump after the series of interviews, especially on Fox, and the president thought he did a great job. What's amazing about this, Bill, is initially I thought Rudy went rogue in that, in that interview with Hannity uh, a couple of days ago. Then I thought, well, he was doing exactly what the Trump legal strategy would be. And then it was, okay, he's doing what the president wanted him to do. Then he undid it. The president is undoing it, and now Rudy is undoing it. So I don't know what the, the, the net impact of it, of it was. I do think it was an attempt by, by Mayor Giuliani and by the president to, to try to right a potential wrong. They would have been in some hot water with uh, federal election officials had this money uh, been not reported to the FEC, if it had been a campaign contribution or a corporate contribution. But the fact is, I think they created three or four other problems in trying to clean up that initial problem. So is it their legal problems, which I don't necessarily want to talk about right now because I'm not a lawyer and you're not a lawyer, but there are political problems. And that is, Mr. Trump's uh, approval rating stays at around 40%, has since the beginning. That has not faltered very much. And as we approach the election season for the midterms in 2018, what does that mean for the 60% of the other voters who may very well vote for congressional representatives based on what they feel about Donald Trump? It means they're going to have to ignore the president's lack of truth-telling if they want to vote for a Republican candidate. It means that uh, the whole mess in Washington gets a whole lot messier. It means Bob Mueller's probe continues to be front and center even as we start uh, the primary season. And we have a whole host of primaries coming up just in the next couple of days. You have to think, look, truth matters to you and I in, in our business and to a lot of voters as well. I don't know that the credibility problems, and they are real at the White House, eats into that base of support for President Trump. I think a lot of them know fundamentally he doesn't tell the truth all all the time and they don't care about it or they, they like other things that are going on but they're going to have to go into the election with that kind of separated mind about what president says and what he does exactly so what, what does that mean for uh 
you know, the, the, this elections, do you think? I mean, what, the Democrats are sort of salivating, but they have not shown necessarily a strong backbone either on this stuff. Yeah, and there's two interesting facts on this. The Democrats, in, in one way, they can overreach on something like this. If you make President Trump into, the, into a victim, uh, you find a reason for his base to get energized again. So I think there's a danger, especially when we start talking about impeachment, the Democrats push this a little too far, all the potential investigations. The other that I'm fascinated by, Bill, is that you'd expect in this climate that there'd be Republicans all around the country running as fast as they can away from a toxic president. That just isn't happening. We're seeing it in the primaries that start to play out on Tuesday in Indiana and West Virginia in particular. It is a, a race to become as Trumpy as you possibly can. That is where the, the terrain is for Republicans, and you're not seeing very many Republicans running as anti-Trumpers or never-Trumpers. Mm -hmm. uh, 30 seconds left, Rick. This, ironically, is a week when President Trump should have been basking in glory of what could be a foreign policy coup bringing the South and the North of Korea together, and it didn't happen. Yeah, and I think there's a real opportunity cost to all of these scandals and an acknowledgement of White, by White House officials that it is having an impact, that there is a, a problem when you're trying to deal with all of these legal issues and you have world affairs, domestic affairs, Korea and Iran, all the rest to deal with at the same time. It's interesting. Okay. Rick Klein, as always, your perspective welcome. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Thanks, Bill. All right, thanks, Rick. And on that note, that'll do it for this edition of Eyewitness News Up Close Tiempo with my colleague Joe Torres. It's coming up next. If you missed any of today's programs, no worries. I'm going to post these segments on my Facebook page come Monday. Thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter. And for all of us here at Channel 7, enjoy the rest of your weekend.